0: Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Good morning. Today's scripture reading will be taken from Psalm 103 verses 11 through 18. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone and it and its place remembers it no more but the mercy of the lord is everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his children to children's children so to such to such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them you may be seated
1: I want to tell you how glad I am to see you here today. We have a lot of people who are visiting, which makes me very happy. I expect that most of our visitors are here to see their fathers. I want to welcome you. Something that occurs to me, I'm going to talk about fathers, of course, this morning. And something that occurs to me that I want you to hear, and all of our young people in this auditorium, is that <clears throat> if you have a father who loves and fears God, you're rich, you're really really rich there are people in this room today who are celebrating father's day with their dads and that's a wonderful thing to do but we also have people in this room who this year have lost their fathers and this is maybe a challenge for you and our sympathy is with you the bible says in hebrews chapter 12 that that god is our father and that our earthly fathers the good ones, the faithful ones to God have such qualities that our Heavenly Father is like them, which is just remarkable to me. I, I just can't imagine comparing God to a human, but He did this, did this so that we could grasp something. And if you had a, a faithful Christian father or you have one, then you understand some of these principles and that, that God, God possesses some of these wonderful qualities. But my lesson's not about Hebrews chapter 12. I'm gonna, I I'm to, I want to take three Bible fathers, good fathers, with whom I suppose all of us are familiar. And I want to draw qualities from them that made them great fathers. Now, that's going to amount to 10 of those qualities, so I can't spend much time on each one. And the first one is the prodigal son's father from Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. Now, just briefly, you remember what happens. The younger son comes to a dad. The dad's got two boys. The younger one comes and says, I want my inheritance now. And we could talk about that later. But the father considers this and he gives him the money. He gives him him, his his half of the inheritance. And what the young man has in mind is not good. It's it's sinful. It's darkness. So he gets away from his dad. He goes to a faraway country. But before he does, he gathers everything together that he's got. Because he really doesn't intend to come back. He intends to stay there. And there he engages in what the, the King James would call riotous living you could imagine the kind of things that, that those were. But, but then he spent everything. But then, I mean, this, this is not what he saw coming. He never imagined it like this. And he, he's got nothing. And, and suddenly there's a famine, and so it's hard to get food. And if you could get it, it's very expensive. He doesn't have any money. He's, he's just broken. And, and in this destitute position, he joins himself to a pig farmer, which is just awful for a Jew. But that's what he does, and he's miserable, and he doesn't know what to do. And then he thinks about his dad. And and so he goes back to his father, and his father saw him ahead of time and, and ran to him and hugged him and kissed him. And the boy says, if you'll just make me a slave, just make me your servant. But the father said, nothing, do it. I want you to be, to resume your position as my son. What kind of qualities can you think about about the, the father of the prodigal son? Let's do the first one. I would say he's approachable whether it was the case that the son had in mind <clears throat> something that, that is just wrong. He knew he could talk to his father. Now, I don't think that his father would would allow that boy to do just anything, but he, he reasons this out in his mind, and he realizes that the best thing at this time is to let the boy make the mistake. Maybe he's 19 years old, and maybe the father considers and thinks, if I, if I deny him this, it's just going to get worse. He's going to have to sow these wild oats and And then he'll, he'll, his mind will be, be right again. I I don't know, but I know that when the, the young man comes back and he's full of self-loathing and guilt and just miserable, he comes back, but he knows, he knows that he can approach his father. Do your children know that about you? And what are you doing right now if you have children at home that develops, that contributes to being approachable? Be very careful. I think, I think Satan works very hard with computer devices with cell phones. I think they're going to, we're going to be very sad one day when we grow old and we look back and we think about how much time we spent around our kids with our faces down into those cell phones. So be careful about that. Are you approachable? You know the old saying from the, the child who said, sometimes my father is close enough to touch but not close enough to talk to. Be sure you're not that man. And when you talk to them, may I suggest that, that you deliberately look in their eyes so that they know that you're focused on them. I'm listening to you and I'm hearing what you say. Make sure they're approachable. That's the first one with the prodigal son's father. Is that dad was there and the son, I mean, what it, Luke 15, the prodigal son, the parable is largely about conversations almost always all of it is about conversations between the father and his two boys. Number 2. He's affectionate. And so you, you've rehearsed this in your mind about the, the prodigal coming back home again and there's his father and his father ran, runs to him. And the son has this speech in his mind he's going to make to his father and his father falls on his neck and kisses him. What does that mean? He hugged him. He grabbed him up tight in a daddy hug. My also, I call them papa hugs and it's it's a bear hug, you know. And, and I, when I do it now, I, I make a sound because I want them to know that Papa is not a woman. Papa's a man. And so I grab him like this and I go, mm. Right? See, a dad's not like a mama. Mamas, mamas have affection too, but a dad's affection is different. Should be different. Dads play rougher. So much, so much a dad teaches when he plays rough with the kids. He te- teaches them restraint. I'm not going to hurt you. We're going to play rough, but you know I'm not going to hurt you. So just know that in your life, there are going to be lines that you draw. He teaches them some coordination when he wrestles with them. And I think, I think wrestling is just a terrific thing with children. I hope daddy, that all of you daddies and granddaddies, I hope if you're physically able, I hope you wrestle with those children. Wrestling is made about 98% of hugging. I mean, we throw them around, throw them on the couch, throw them on the bed, throw them on the carpet, carpet somewhere we wrestle hard and we we tickle them and we bite them on the ear and all that sort of thing i'm just i'm driving to this point which is that i believe that when the when the prodigal got to his dad and his father embraced him that what that boy felt was a familiarity was a familiar feeling of his dad's embrace because this wasn't the first time his dad had hugged him how are we doing about that gentlemen how are we doing this is a church of great fathers. This is not a sermon to criticize because I know we have great and godly fathers. I mean, we're, We just have a bunch of them here and I just think that's so good. Now here's number three. He was merciful. This is the point of the parable, of course. So this is what we draw mostly from it is that he was merciful. And and so he says, that the boy makes his speech. I, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And, and then the father starts talking to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet because this, my son was dead. He's alive again. I'm going to tell you something about every father in this room, especially if you're as old as I am or anywhere near it and your kids are just about or already grown. Is it, man, you got this, you understand this. What he felt wasn't angst. It wasn't rage. It was mercy. So, Psalm 103, like a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him, because he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. And I look at my children and I, I, I know their frame. I know where they came from. I, I know them so very well. At least I believe I do. Mercy is not so very hard, is it? But now, what's interesting, before we, or as we transition to the next one, which is resolute, um, is that. The, the, the prodigal's father didn't change the principles to which he held because he wanted to show mercy to his son. Now let that soak in. So he's also resolute. Now the father is resolute. It, it is the case that the boy didn't expect that he would come and say, give me mercy and change your value system. I mean, the boy, the boy went into a faraway country. I want to get away from daddy's value system. And the Bible says he gathered all together and took his journey into that faraway country. So he doesn't mean to come back. He takes everything, but he loses everything. He doesn't expect when he, when he crawls back home again to ask forgiveness, just make me a servant. It's not that he expects his daddy to change his positions. He knows that if he wants to live like this, he can't do it at daddy's house. You can't live this way. Well, what kind of way? Well, his, his brother said when the boy came back, his brother said he lived it uh, with harlots. You could picture all the different kinds of darkness that he got himself into. That was the point. The point was to get into the darkness. The point was to live a way that was different from the values of his father. But he doesn't come home now expecting the mercy that would mean dad's going to change his values. And that's not it because dad's resolute. Mercy, yes. Compassion, yes. Values, absolute and resolute, and no matter where you go in this world, son, I love you with all my heart. I'd die for you. I love you. But, but God is served here. This is a place where we fear God. I'm not a woman, you know. Sometimes the last week Sunday sermon, Sunday morning sermon, we talked about this craziness, and uh, people tell us today that a man, if he wants to, he can choose to be a woman. Well, I'm going to tell you something right now. A godly father is determined to be a man in every respect of the term. I will be a man. And what that means in this, this context is that this is a place where we serve God resolutely. That's what my house will always be. Mercy, yes. Resolve You betcha. All right, now let's turn to Noah. Here's here's the second one of our fathers. And this one I want to take from Genesis chapter 6. Genesis 6. Now, here's the thing about Noah is that I think that, that it's easy for you and me maybe sometimes to excuse ourselves for our weaknesses. And we all have them and we all make mistakes. But sometimes I think we excuse them comparing ourselves to other people. I live in a worldly World. I, I, live, I work at a place where there's a lot of worldliness and I'm around those people all the time. And um, so, you know, it makes it hard. It makes it hard on me. A lot of temptations, a lot of pressures to do the wrong thing. I'm, I'm, but you know what? You don't want you. Listen. It's it's true that you live around. You and I live around some people that are worldly and wicked and darkness and all. We, we of course we do. But it wasn't like Noah. You don't want to be complaining about that. And let Noah hear you say it. Don't let him hear you say it. Well, listen, here's what Here's what I mean. Here's chapter 6 of Genesis and verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. He was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air. For I'm sorry that I have made them. Drop down to 11. The earth was also corrupt before God. The earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all the flesh had corrupted their way. All flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. You and I may run around with some people, Sometimes, or work with people that are wicked, but I'm going to tell you something. All the earth was wicked, it was everywhere. 13. God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me because the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now, you talk about. Here's number five. We're going to start this one for Noah. He was protective. And what I'm saying is that, that he had this spirit about him. And it's it's, it's it's akin, of course, to being resolute. It is resolute. But also also to say there's a degree of independence here as a father. Uh, we are us, and everybody out there is them. And here in our family, we're going to serve God. And you say, yeah, but Noah, there's no more faithful. How many people were saved by water? First Peter chapter 3 and verse 20. And the answer is eight souls. Eight souls were saved by water. Where'd they come from? They came from Noah. That passage says they were saved by water. Right. That is to say that, that the water is what buoyed them up, the ship up to hold it up, and beneath them was the death and destruction. But they were also saved by God. Of course, that's true. You wouldn't deny that. But I'd say they were saved by Noah, too. It was his family that was saved because they were right before God. It was his wife and his three sons and their wives. That's who was saved he was protective of them. These are my people. It's not a meanness. It's just a resolve. And that's how a father is. He's not a woman. He's a man. The world can do what the world's going to do, but we're not going to live like that, right? There was that steely resolve. Now, one more thing before I leave this point is that sometimes a man needs to protect his family from himself. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I want to, spend a, I want to take a moment. I want to Get this glued down, is that every man that I know happens to be human. And every man I know has his own set of temptations. You know, James says every man's tempted of his own lust. And you be very careful because sometimes marriage is destroyed because of a man's sin. Sometimes a home is destroyed. Sometimes children are harmed because of a man's yielding to temptation. So what I've got to resolve is that I need to protect them from myself that's true about substance abuse. And it, it, I, so I, I don't drink. We're not going to drink because of what can result from that. We're not going to use drugs, not illicit drugs, because of what can result. But I don't, need, I don't gamble. We're not going to gamble. You ever, you ever be around somebody that has a gambling habit? You say, I'll just tamper with I'll just enjoy it. That's just a hobby. Come on now, don't you do that because you've got to protect your family. Besides being pleasing to God, you've got to protect your family. And sometimes it's about violating the women rules. Briefly, the women rules. Got to stay away from pornography. No porn. The use of pornography to any degree is a sin against God. But it isn't just that. It's a sin against your family. And you don't want to go where this will lead. And you don't want to harm your children in the direction that this will lead. And a man's got to practice the woman rules. And the the, the women rules are simple. We just keep our guard up. The answer is that that we make our closest friends men. I mean, you have lots of friends, and women are sometimes your friends, but your closest friends are not women, they're men. Because you're a man. It's very common. I mean, I tell you what, when I'm around marriage problems that involve adultery, it's not so unusual if it's in the church that two couples... In the church, they become great friends. Nothing wrong with that. That's wonderful. But but suppose we start making compromises. I start looking at that other man's wife as being well. She's my close friend, and so compromises. You just have to be careful. The women rules means that that we don't we we work to never be alone with another woman in a place that's risky. If you don't want to fall down, don't walk in slippery places. It's interesting to me. And I'm not, I'm going to stop about this, but I'm around adultery a good bit. And and I tell you, um, I'm nervous about the gym. I'm nervous, and I'm just this is my opinion. I'm telling you, I'm nervous about we buy subscriptions to gyms and the men and women exercise together. It is so dangerous. It is. You, you can disagree with me if you want, but I'm telling you, from my perspective and being around couples, I'm telling you it's exceedingly dangerous. You be careful about that. Practice the women rules. Develop the women rules and keep yourself safe and keep your family safe and protected from you. All right, here's number six. We're talking about Noah. And it's this. He was protective. He was predictable. He was, number six, conscientious. All right, conscientious. Here's chapter four, uh, chapter six and verse 14. And and I want to impress you, and if you've got this on in your... Uh, on your Bible in front of you here, I want to impress you with how many times when God's giving the instruction about the ark, how many times He says, You shall do this. This wasn't to say, Noah, let's talk this over and what are your opinions about how the ark should be built? None of that. It wasn't, Do you feel like you can take off these years because it's going to involve years to build this boat? Nothing like that. I mean, this is so strong. I'm going to start in verse 14 of, of uh, Genesis 6. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms. and This is very definitive. It is clear. This is what you will do. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it, underline it. Now, incidentally, the, the Hebrew word is implied for shall. The Hebrew word is the word make. And uh, the word shall is, supply, is supplied because it is clearly implied. This is a direct order. You shall, verse 15, this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, width 50 cubits, height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for it, cubit above, set the door uh, in the ark, in its side. You shall make it with lower second and third decks. And it goes on. You shall do this. What kind of man is this that, that would listen to this and not, not push back? The answer is this kind of Noah. He's conscientious. One of the greatest gifts that a man can give his sons and daughters is is a sense of getting the jobs that you do. Anything that's worth doing is doing right, worth doing right. And some attention to that, attention to that, some integrity about the work that I do. And when a father gets under the car with that boy, and he says, now look, here's how you screw on this filter. And when you spin that thing on, and remember it's got that rubber gasket on it, you put a little oil on that, and then you tighten it. But do not tighten it too tight nor too loose. you got to get that right. I think he's teaching more than just oil filters. When my father was teaching me how to drive, we went to this. I was, I was just about to turn 16. I got my license on my 16th birthday because I couldn't wait. And that was just the earliest they would legally let you do it. Went to this parking lot of a coliseum, completely empty, big, big place. Houston, Texas is where we lived. So my father took me in the family car, big Chrysler. You had to have a big parking lot because car was so big, huge car. And and so we're doing, he's running me through some things. And so we were stopped and he said, I'll never forget this. Isn't that funny all these years? Uh, And he said, okay, now now I want you to back up. I knew we were in a parking lot. I knew there weren't any people behind us. I put it in in reverse and I just looking forward, I just pushed on the accelerator. We went backwards. He said, Stop. And and he swatted my hand. Didn't hurt. It was just, but it shocked me. I'll tell you that. He said, never, ever back up like that. Now, back then you had bench seats. And so the way we were trained to do it, because we didn't, I know this is going to seem strange, but we didn't have rear cameras. At least if we did, I didn't know them. I didn't know they were there. (laughs) And what what you were taught was to put your arm... On the back of the seat and look back. And then and you were also to check your mirrors before you backed up. And you know what? I really remember that. Was it important to get it right? Was it important to be conscientious about that? He knew that it could be life and death. Life and death for me or for other people. And so it was important. And he taught me more than he did just about just about mirrors. Okay, number next. Number seven, he was predictable. I want, to, I want to show you the kind of man he was. And I need to be predict, predictable in this way. Here's chapter 6 and verse 8. Now, see, so you have the earth filled with, with the darkness. God's going to destroy the earth, but not Noah. And the Bible says in verse 8 that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. You drop down from there to chapter 7 and verse 1. The Bible says this. Then the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household, because I've seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. There's There's a predictability about Noah. Yeah, but Noah, wait a minute, wait a minute. Noah has all these... This darkness about him, the whole earth is wicked. Yeah, but Noah walks with God. So there's the spirit, there's the predictable spirit that has to characterize all of us who are fathers or grandfathers in this room. And I'm confident that it does. And that is that our children, our grandchildren need to know where we're going to stand. Papa, Daddy will always live for Jesus, always will. We we uh, we worship faithfully because because Papa's going to make sure, Daddy's going to make sure. I don't mean to minimize moms at all in all of this discussion, but we're talking about dads. There's a predictability to that. I know that we will be in worship. I know that we will because that's what we do, and Daddy's going to make sure about that. Here's number eight. He's industrious. This one's easy. It took years and years. And his boys worked beside him watching him build the ark. Okay, now, we have two more to go. Here's the third and final father. I want to spend just a bit of time on Joseph, who is the husband of Mary. And, and you'll remember that Mary is with child. The angel comes to, the, to, to Joseph and says, This woman, don't you be afraid to marry this woman. And he was afraid. He was afraid because she was pregnant. The baby wasn't his. He knew that. And so he was going to to put her away. The angel says, don't you be afraid to do this. Now, the quality that I want to do for number nine is in Joseph. And that is, he was holy. He was holy. I might have used the word resolute. This all is tied together. But he has four visits from angels. Now, if you're keeping notes in the margin of your Bible... You might want to write this down. Chapter 1, verse 20. The angel comes to him and says, Don't be afraid to take Mary for your wife. Don't be afraid. You you go ahead. And so he wasn't afraid and he did. Chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. I want you to go to Egypt. You know what Joseph did? He picked up his family and they went to Egypt. Chapter 2, verse 19. I want you to go to Israel. You know what he did? Exactly what he was told. Chapter 2 and verse 22, I want you to go to Galilee. So you have four occasions where the angel of the Lord came to Joseph and gave him specific instructions. And you know what he did? He did what God told him to do. Let this be us. Here's First Chronicles 28 and verse 9. It's, it's advice that David gives to his son Solomon. Ready? Know the God of your father and serve him. With a perfect heart and a willing mind. If you seek him, and he understands the thoughts of your heart, if you seek him, he will be found of you. If you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Here's the last one. Here's number ten. We're talking about qualities of great fathers, and the one we're thinking about is Joseph, the husband of Mary. And he was sacrificial. He loved his family. He loved Jesus. I mean, so how come, how come heaven chose Joseph? And we could ask the same thing about Mary, and that's a great sermon, great thing to ponder and think about. Why did God choose this young woman? I picture her to be about 14 years old. She's young, and he is, a, is espoused to her. Why did God, what was it about Joseph that made him appealing for this role to protect the Christ child? He's going to drop out of the pages of the Bible pretty soon. We assume that he died early and then it's just Mary. You get to the cross. Joseph's not there. We assume that he died. I expect it was because he knew. God knew that Joseph would be sacrificial and that he would love his wife. So here's the interesting thing. When you study Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 22, it looks to me like that, that Joseph had every right not just to put her away but also to defame her in the in the society, the, the culture, the people around whom she lived, that he could have made an example of her. But see, that what you get is that, that that wasn't his objective. It wasn't about vindictiveness. You have been with another man, and I will show you, you don't hurt me. I'm Joseph, and I will not put up with this, and I'm going to give you a taste of your own medicine, and I'll make sure you are shamed publicly. Could have done that, but, but he didn't. Why was he going to put her away then? No mercy? Oh, he had mercy. Wasn't that. It wasn't vindictiveness that... No, no, it was... The angel nailed it. The angel said the reason why he's putting her away is because he's afraid of her. Get that? He's afraid of her. If he marries her, what he knows about her, in his heart anyway, is that she's promiscuous and she's a liar. And as much as he loved her, that was the fact of the matter, at least so far as everything he'd ever known. And yet he didn't want to hurt her. He had to put her away because he was afraid of her. But it did not mean he hurt her or he hated her. He loved her. He still loved her. And so he was willing to put her away privately. And I would argue that that the other things we've said about Joseph already indicated that what you've got in this man is somebody who really loves his wife and his little son. He's going to be sacrificial. Whatever... Whatever comes in life, he knows his role. I'm the protector. I'm the provider. I'm the leader. I will be the head of this family because that's the role that God enjoins to me. That's what my life is to be. John Roseman is an interesting writer and um, has done a great deal of writing about family. And He said to married parents this quote. Children don't need fathers who are striving to be their kids' best friends. They need fathers who are dedicated primarily to their wives and in so being show their kids what being properly married looks like. Nothing puts a more solid foundation of security and well-being under a child than the knowledge that his parents are in committed, a committed, vibrant relationship. So the better the husband, the better the dad.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at collie at westhuntsville.org.